The Drive. Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program where we take a diverse look at cars and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we look at news stories with David Campbell, including Hyundai and H2 Energy to bring the world's first fleet of fuel cell electric trucks into commercial operation and stackable cars of the future unveiled in Scotland. We hear about the partnership between Ford Driving Skills for Life program and the Amy Gillett Foundation to fill a huge gap in our driver training and licensing procedures, how to deal with vulnerable road users such as cyclists. We have some personal reflections from Anita Kurnow, an executive with the Victorian Road Authority, Vic Roads, about her career as a transport engineer. We have a minute of motoring on the latest Nissan Navara ute, and Brian Smith, Errol Smith and I take a joyful look at some quirky news stories about motoring and transport, including two press releases, one full of marketing jargon and one full of mistakes. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au or you can podcast previous programs on iTunes. So let's start the program with the news. Two trends have come into play in a recent announcement from Hyundai. While there has been considerable focus on electric cars powered by batteries, Hyundai has also been steadily developing its electric vehicles powered by fuel cells. The vehicle carries hydrogen and the fuel cell combines it with oxygen from the atmosphere in a reaction that produces electricity. The other significant trend is that they are applying this technology to trucks. Hyundai, in cooperation with H2 Energy, will provide 1,000 fuel cell electric trucks to the Swiss commercial vehicle market from 2019 to 2023. One of the difficulties with carrying hydrogen is that it takes up a lot of space, and so even when compressed to very high pressures, it still needs a reasonable storage tank. The advantage of a truck configuration is that it is likely to have more room than a car to place the hydrogen tanks. Hyundai is predicting a range of 400 kilometres per tankful. It is often said that small cars are more environmentally friendly because they use less fuel and take up less space. But they still take up a whole lane and you still have to leave the normal gap between them so that they do not reduce congestion to any great extent. Now the easily distributed personal rapid transit project, Esprit, is developing lightweight electric vehicles that can be stacked together to save space. And up to eight can be driven together as a road train with the front vehicle driver carrying out all the necessary controls. The project is part of the European Commission's Green Vehicle Sub-Program of Horizons 2020 and the University of Aberdeen and the Transport Group First are among the organisations involved. The vehicles will be designed for short journeys in busy areas with an expected average travel time of 10 minutes. Peugeot has released pictures and descriptions of their latest concept car, the E-Legend. 
With a look of a sports car of the 70s, it has a roofline of an early Toyota Celica, a square tail and a low, wide front grille, which makes it the modern equivalent of a Fiat 124 Coupe. It has two autonomous modes, soft, which minimises the information in the cabin, and sharp, which maximises connectivity to digital activities. Then there are two manual modes, Legend, which gives a cruising with a display of digitally processed wood on the different screens, and Boost, which gives 180 immersion with projection of the road on a single large screen. Overdrive, who has conducted many road tests in the old style, is now going through a thorough research project to try and understand what that all means. There should be no doubt that motoring of the future will have less and less to do with the traditional experiences. Google has signed a global multi-year agreement to partner with Renault-Nissan-Mitsubishi Alliance to equip their vehicles with intelligent infotainment systems. Hadid Sablit, the Senior Vice President of Business Development at Renault-Nissan-Mitsubishi, said, Our partnership with Google will offer owners of our vehicles rich user experiences that are currently available only outside the vehicle, or, to a limited extent, by connecting an Android device. There was a time when the only competition a car could win was on the racetrack. Now, Hyundai has just won three silver gongs in the International Design Excellence Award, IDEA, 2018, one of the world's three grand international design prizes. The award selects winners of 20 categories, including automotive and transportation, consumer technology and service design, based on standards such as design innovation, user experience and social responsibility. The successful Hyundai vehicles were the large SUV, their Santa Fe, the Kona small SUV and the Nexo fuel cell SUV. The Santa Fe is a traditional looking SUV while the Kona takes a refreshing approach without going over the top and the Nexo has enough shaping to it so as not to have the usual SUV Esky on wheels design. In addition, the Hyundai luxury brand, Genesis, has been recognised for its design excellence for two consecutive years. The mid-size sedan, the G70, was selected as an IDEA finalist, following the same honour as the G80 Sports last year. And that has been the news. In September 2018, students in postgraduate and undergraduate courses at Monash University in Melbourne organised a Transportation Engineering Student Leadership Summit. It was done under the auspices of the Australian and New Zealand chapter of the Institute of Transport Engineers, ITE. The summit is a scaled version of the model that student chapters of the ITE initiated in North America in 2012. It is a chance for students to learn about the profession and network with peers and older professionals. But they were also given a project, in this case to look at the Box Hill Town Centre, which is struggling to make the most of its identity and has a large bus depot and train station that are uncomfortably separated by some distance. The students got to work in one of a number of teams and to present their results to a large audience. 
The summit started with a keynote speech from Anita Kurnow, who is the Executive Director of Access and Operations at VicRoads, the road authority for the state of Victoria. Students commented that Anita's presentation was enlightening and encouraging. It was personable, not patronising. Anita graduated as a civil engineer in the early 90s and she tossed up between a career in hydraulics or traffic engineering. Some say they are closely aligned because they consider flows in what is at times a capacity-restricted channel or corridor. I caught up with Anita at morning tea and asked her why she went into transportation. I was really interested in the transport side of things because it had people right at the middle of it. People who were making decisions about how they were going to get from A to B. People who made um, driver decisions about which lane they were choosing and when they would turn. So because people are right at the middle of it, it's much more unpredictable and interesting. And that's really what attracted me to transport. Engineering is often seen as equations, whereas you're getting into behaviour. Is that part of the enticement of this area? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, sort of understanding human behaviour has always been of interest to me. And even though I chose an engineering profession, which is often put down to numbers, you know, physics and chemistry. But for me, understanding the human interaction with all that is what makes it interesting. It's often been said of engineers that they will solve a problem. The real point is giving them the right problem to solve. When you graduated and saw the state in Victoria at that stage, has it changed much in that area? Yeah, look, Victoria has changed significantly since 1993. I mean, if you think about the infrastructure build alone, it's CityLink wasn't in place. You know, the, all of the infrastructure that the um, CBD has attracted since then, there's been a huge uh, infrastructure uplift as well as some major rail investment now and also some other key links such as EastLink and, and Peninsula Link, which we're nowhere on the radar. There's been massive change in in some of this big infrastructure. It's said that we sometimes look at projects rather than systems. Do you think we're getting better at trying to understand that we're not just building one nice little bit, but how we affect the whole system? It's a really interesting question. I mean, Vic Roads has recently had some changes and one of the changes has been that our major projects division has been carved out as a separate authority. And so the major road projects authority is now um, a collaborating partner rather than part of Vic Roads. And what that leaves the rest of Vic Roads to do is to operate the network and to manage access to the network and to manage the asset. And so as the network operator, we take a really big picture systems view of the road network. You moved into and had a great passion for what is now called ITS, Intelligent Transport Systems. That's often seen as a revolution, but sometimes it's not just the technology you were saying in your presentation, is it? So intelligent transport systems is a means to an end in a way, and I'm very interested in the whole sort of philosophy around technology for technology's sake compared to what is the problem we're trying to solve and what are the range of solutions and technology plays its part in solving those problems. And I think we've got a lot better as a profession at identifying that you do need people dedicated to developing technology because otherwise you're never going to get you know, groundbreaking new technology. But at the same time, you need to have that sensibility check. What's the problem that this technology is seeking to address? And are we actually targeting it at the right thing? Anita, thank you very much for your time. It's a pleasure. Thank you, David. This is Overdrive across Australia. And now a motoring minute. This week, Rob Fraser from Osroma 
gives a quick rundown on the Nissan Navara Ute. We recently tested a top-of-the-range Nissan Navara STX four-wheel drive dual-cab ute. The recent upgrade has seen the Navara return as one of the top choices for a recreational four-wheel drive ute. Navara is powered by a 2.3-litre twin-turbo diesel engine that is ideally suited for towing, off-road driving and economy. It has a seven-speed sport automatic transmission, electronic four-wheel drive selection and rear diff lock. I particularly like the sleek style and smooth ride around town, yet the Navara will take you far off-road if you desire as well. It comes with a five-star ANCAP safety rating and is well-appointed and comfortable inside. The heated leather seats are a $1,500 option, but definitely worth the extra money. Unfortunately, there is no Apple CarPlay or Android Auto yet. Price from $52,490, recommended retail price. You should see your local dealer for the driveway price. This is Overdrive across Australia. The Amy Gillard Foundation was established in 2005 following the tragic death of competitive Australian cyclist Amy Gillard, who was struck and killed by a vehicle in Germany while training with the Australian women's cycling team. The foundation has become the leading cycling safety organisation in Australia. They have just partnered with the Ford Driving Skills for Life program. The foundation's CEO is Phoebe Dunn, who joins me on the line now. Phoebe, thank you very much for your time. It's a pleasure, David. With the Ford Driving School, is it important that you mix with and be seen to and act with broader driver training programs? Well, driver training is a fundamental means by which we can all achieve a safer road environment in Australia, whether that's for cyclists, for pedestrians and other vulnerable road users, for motorcycle riders, for car drivers and indeed for truck drivers as well. So driver education is fundamental to achieving a safe road environment in Australia. Do we do much now for understanding vulnerable road users like cyclists? Well, our research has shown that there's little to no information contained in the driver training programs and testing programs, compulsory ones in the states and territories around Australia. So we've worked with the ACT government as a consequence of research conducted by Dr Marilyn Johnson in the ACT on the ACT driver licensing program and we then worked with the ACT government on updating their driver licensing requirements to include a compulsory component on cyclists and other vulnerable road users. So the ACT is the first government in Australia to have this compulsory component and we're looking to work with the authorities around Australia to make cycling content compulsory in all driver licensing training and testing programs and that's why programs such as the Ford Driving Skills for Life is so important because until we get there with the authorised programs these types of programs like the one that Ford is running is really important to help inform and educate the next generation of road users on how to be safe around cyclists on the road. There has been a strident attitude in some areas between cyclists and car drivers or vehicle drivers in general. However, from the launch of the Ford Driving Skills for Life program for this next year, they've been going for four years, they're talking about calmness. That's important, isn't it? 
Oh, look, it's very important. We all need to... The road is a shared space and we all need to respect other road users and behave responsibly when we're in that shared space. I noticed that Hyundai's now, their latest Santa Fe coming out, has the left child back door won't open if it detects a vehicle is coming along it, it automatically locks i'm not sure it's quite as far as being really good with cyclists but technology will help us as well are you involved in pushing to that area as well well technology has the has the capacity to be a real game changer in road safety and that includes road safety for cyclists as well with the advent of autonomous vehicles and the introduction of autonomous and semi-autonomous vehicles into the market, and we're seeing new technology that improves the road safety for all road users, including cyclists. The tragedy, the sheer agony of losing someone on the road. I was reading about Amy. She was studying a doctorate at the University of Adelaide, I believe. That's uh, an immense person of great ability, and it just emphasises the tragedy of the loss. Road safety is of vital importance. No one wants to experience the pain and heartache of losing someone to a road traffic crash. It is one of the most difficult ways to experience the passing of a loved one. We're working incredibly hard to try and make sure that that no person has to experience what Amy's parents had to experience when they lost Amy to a road tragedy. Phoebe, lovely to talk to you. We appreciate the work you're doing. Thank you very much for your time. It's a pleasure, David. Thank you for having me. Phoebe Dunn, who is the CEO of the Amy Gillett Foundation, which is the leading cycling safety organisation in Australia, working with a range of people to try and bring about a better, calmer, safer road environment. You're listening to Overdrive. And we come to the end of the week. And isn't it good to have on the line in Adelaide, Brian Smith. Gay Brian. G'day, David. And Errol Smith. Gay Errol. G'day, David. G'day, Brian. Now, Peugeot have put out a press release about their legend concept. How you can have a legend that's a concept, I'm not sure. But they have put in all the mastery of a PR or marketing department with the words. Now, gentlemen... I'll quote a few of the words and try and tell you what I think they mean. They say, quote, they are a major player in every technological revolution. That means they sell cars. They also say that they calmly approaches that of the energy transition with the conviction that technology is always at the service of automotive pleasure. I think that means they sell cars. It has an unboring the future, unboring the future. And I think that means they're going to keep selling cars. So, gentlemen, are you impressed with the jargon with which Peugeot has pontificated about this car? David, this is this is fabulous. It's it's almost like they got the French press release and ran it through some kind of automatic translation that sort of <laughs> turned turned all of the uh, marketing spin into into absolute hyperbole territory. The other one I loved was it, it has houndify technology. Oh. So I assume that means it hounds you relentlessly to buy it. <laughs> um, and uh, it's, it's also hyper-technological. That's a disease, isn't it? <laughs> I, don't, 
I'm not sure I want my technology to be to be hyper. I just want it to kind of work. Let me give you a few others. A real object of desire that promotes the freedom of movement and offers the choice between a never-ending choice of pleasures. <laughs> There's definitely been some marketing advice in this one. Um, uh, even to the, the way they name, the, the vehicle's got two autonomous modes. One is soft and one is sharp. Hmm. It's almost like you're tasting wine or something like that. And and the, the <laughs> manual modes of driving, because you can drive it, have legend, uh, which is a cruising mode apparently, and boost, which is dynamic and stimulating driving. Gentlemen, I think that this coupe looks very much like the old Fiat 124 coupe. You know, I, I complain that um, there's no real revolution in the shape of cars and not taking the opportunity to redefine the shape of a car. It's just a coupe, isn't it? And it's an electric mm. one. Perhaps to help people understand what it looks like, may I quote, the flanks are treated in three distinct layers with, in particular, an extension of the technical platform of the lower part and a large glazed area inspired by the sheet metal slash glass ratio of the Peugeot 504 coupe. I hope that clears that up. <laughs> they may have had some Chinese engineers work on this, perhaps. <laughs> Despite the ridiculous press release, I actually think it's quite a good-looking car. It's got a bit of the American muscle car yes. mixed with a bit of, bit of European style going on with it. It's got a roof of an old Celica, and it's got the back of the square sort of back of a 124 Fiat and a longish nose with a broad grille at the front, which is rather narrow in the style of the old 504. I can see all those sorts of things. I just don't need these words that confuse me. I know what you well, mean, David. They, they say at the front, the look of the vehicle is identifiable thanks to a visual signature with three claws and two double modules. The technical area is located under the projectors. Now, what what is the technical area in a car? Do they mean the, the engine? Do they mean the donk? And what are the projectors? This sounds more and more like a Star Wars made-up kind of flux yes. capacitor. Yes. <laughs> The, 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 the other heading I love in the in the in the press release, it's called an immersive and warm sensation. <laughs> that sounds like an accident. <laughs> it's a little bit like Max Harris and the poetry, the Earn Malley poems. Earn Malley. Yeah. Earn Malley poems, right? Where a couple of poets were so enraged by the meaningless nonsense, this, your words, Errol, of a, a generated buzzwords that are just put together randomly, that they created a story of a taxi driver who was a great poet, and they put together words which purely randomly, although occasionally they quoted from the boys' scout manual and used one line or, or half a paragraph of, or, or a couple of sentences of that. And they, Max Harris, the, the, the leader of the poetic culture in Australia, waxed lyrical about how wonderful it was. It was all made up. They just uh, jumbled words together, didn't they? They were the yeah. angry penguins, weren't they? I think Max Harris was called the angry penguins, and you know, which is sort of a poetic style about it in itself. Uh, but these others were people who were just fed up with the nonsense that came out from it. I always remember it was Philip Adams that said, most poetry, you need an enigma code to try and understand. <laughs> 
To frame its technological vision, Peugeot e-Legend concept draws on the heritage of the brand, full stop, wink, comma, reinterpreting the great style themes of a fun vehicle. <laughs> We're on board. Maybe the artificial intelligence that uh, apparently this car possesses actually wrote the press release. <laughs> It feels like a human wasn't really involved. Maybe another computer can understand it. Perhaps that's the point. Errol, you have a story for us. We're talking about a fashionable motor car there from the from the French, and um, a lot of the fashion of cars is what it, it looks like on the outside. But the future of vehicle technology and trends, believe it or not, is the interior of the vehicle. After all, that is where you spend the most time. The CEO of Grupo Antolin a company you've never heard of uh, that has products in just about every vehicle's interior, says that interior lighting and alerting is becoming one of the biggest growth areas and the move to self-driving cars means the functionality and requirements of the car's interior are changing. This is the end of the world as we know it. While we used to have grease under the fingernails, now that's going to be replaced by manicures and nail polish, if you know what I mean. We're going to have the equivalent of the block, except in motor cars. <laughs> mm. What what is it? What's the feng shui or sh- feng shui feng shui, feng shui of cars, uh, Brian? You know, is that going to come into how you actually locate the gear lever? I I worry greatly. Do you, do you share my concern? I I don't think they're going far enough because <laughs> he talks here about just two things: lighting. So he says uh, he thinks when it comes to self-driving cars, they'll see a change mainly in the interior lighting business. And the second thing, when he talks about in the US, models are often changed every year. How does that affect your products? He says that generally automakers only change small details such as fabrics. So essentially, maybe all he's talking about is going back to cloth versus leather or something like this. Mm. We choose the plaid interior. Oh, I know what it's going to have. Pillows. It's going to be covered full of pillows. Stitching. I fear that we're going to be taken over, not by the mechanics of the world, but by the interior decorators. And it's going to change the nature of a road test completely. And, of course, we know with autonomous vehicles, gentlemen, we've talked about all the things you might do in a car when you don't have to worry about driving it. Indeed. I think we've yes. touched on things that there. Yeah, we have touched on that a little bit sensitively, as is our want. As is our want. Gentlemen, we're going to chat again next week. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Brian Smith and Errol Smith here talking some quirky news on Overdrive. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to David Campbell, Brian Smith, Errol Smith, Rob Fraser and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or podcast previous programs on iTunes. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. <laughs>